that's what innovation feels like. That's what it looks like. That's what it is. It's not just little tweaks around the edge. It's not being brought in to do a job. It's genuinely being first. No one else has walked this path before. And every single question you ask yourself, you are responsible for finding the answer to. My name is Samantha Riley, and this is the podcast for experts who want to be the unapologetic leader in their industry. We're going to share the latest business growth, marketing, and leadership strategies, as well as discussing how you can use your human design to create success in business and life, inside and out. It's time to take your influence, income, and impact to the level you know you're capable of. Are you ready to make a bigger difference and scale up? This is the Influence by Design podcast. Welcome to today's episode of Influence by Design. I'm your host, Samantha Riley, and today we're going to be talking about innovation. And I'm not going to sort of dive deeper into that at the moment because I've invited today's guest. And when we first spoke, I have to be honest, she was introduced to me and I was like, why am I being introduced to this person? It makes no sense. So I'm going to read her bio so you are on the same page as me. So Rhiannon Simcox is the CEO of James Home Services Australia, which is a franchise for people in the home services, cleaning and in the gardening kind of, you know, industry. She conceptualized and has led the development and implementation of Australia's first subscription model to business ownership. Now, like I said, when Rhiannon first was introduced to me, I was like, I don't know about this. And we jumped on a call and had the most incredible conversation and I booked her in on the spot. So Rhiannon, welcome to the show. That is probably the most uncomfortable introduction you've ever received. Oh no. <laughs> but I want people to understand that if they're listening and thinking, what's Sam doing today? That just strap yourselves in because this is going to be a firecracker. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? That first conversation we had, it just flowed so naturally. And I've been so looking forward to today's chat. So thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for uh, opening the door, even though it didn't make any sense when I knocked on it. (laughs) Oh, hello. There's a little opening to what we're talking about today. So you're in home services. This is why I first thought, this is a bit strange. You're a franchisor. Tell us a little bit about the business that you're running now and sort of where it was when you bought it because I think that will flow us into the conversation that we're going to have today. Yeah, it's perfect context really. I am the CEO for James Home Services Australia which is a franchise network that operates nationally and it services the home services sector. So as a franchise network we have two core responsibilities. One is to develop a business model for selling, cleaning and lawn mowing predominantly, businesses to everyday Australians, mums and dads, ex-corporates, anybody who is thinking they'd like to go down the path of business ownership but wants a little bit of extra support along the way. And so the network of James Home Services Australia changed ownership just on the cusp of COVID almost three years ago and the new owners purchased a then 27-year-old Australian brand that had incredible residual brand value but had had minimal reinvention since its founding 27 years ago. And so what was purchased was Fabulous Bones, 
an excellent network, incredible business owners within our network and an amazing culture and team, but the foundations needed rebuilding and significantly so. And so our journey with James Home Services over the last three years has been exactly that. It's been completely rebuilding the foundations complete and utter transformation of our business. It looks nothing. From the outside, it looks like James Home Services Australia. From the outside, we've not changed all that much, but internally it looks absolutely nothing like the business that the owners purchased almost three years ago. Part of that transformation was because we wanted to get to a point where we could introduce something incredibly different into the franchising and the business ownership space, and that was our subscription model. We had a lot of work to do to get to a point where innovation was possible in our network. So that was the first two years of work. And then in the middle of last year, we launched our Australian first and indeed we believe a world first in a subscription model to business ownership. Mm. Now, there's two ways I want to go here and I'm hoping I pick the right way first so that we create the path. So you talking about a subscription model, what I'd like you to cover is that journey of discovering who, or really not discovering, diving deep into who your ideal client is and understanding the mismatch of the traditional franchise model? You have asked literally the perfect question there. (laughs) Literally the perfect question because that's where it all starts. It all starts with two very basic questions that every single person in business, does not matter your industry, your sector, your your service, your product, it doesn't matter. There are two questions as a business owner. You need to be asking yourself pretty much every day and you need to be answering yourself honestly. The first one of those questions is, does the market want what I sell? Now, this is not a tick and flick. We don't just say, well, yeah, I'm a plumber and, yeah, people need plumbers. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, yes. No, no dive deep. Does the market actually want exactly what you sell? What is your value proposition? Down to 100 dot points. What is it that you're offering? You know, and what are the 20 that are the most important in terms of your value proposition? But detailing out exactly who you are, what you stand for, and what it is you're offering the market. Now, when we first started looking at what we need to transform our network, and we had done things like a complete brand refresh, We'd introduced more, you know, new systems and processes. We'd taken our head office team through additional training and through lots of change. You know, we tackled dozens of significant change management projects in those first two years to transform the network. And we got to a point where we had worked on the foundations and we were saying, right, well, now now we're actually proud of what we've got. Now we're actually proud of what we're selling, our product, our offering to the market. And so do the market want it? And... For us, it came down to the fact, well, what is it that we offer at the very core? What we offer is the ability for someone to be their own boss, the ability for them to flip the bird to the boss and (laughs) kick the commute to the curb, not worry about who's got your coffee cup at 10 o'clock in the morning. We offer people the ability to control their own time, their own financial outcomes and their own time with family, which is probably one of the most important things that we hear. Does the market want the ability to own their own businesses? Absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. The answer to that first question for us was, yes, that's a no-brainer. It's part of the quintessential Australian dream to own your own backyard and to be your own boss. Mm -hmm. And we 
tick off or we enable people to tick off half that list. So yes, Mm -hmm. the market wants what we are offering. So once you've either answered yes or no to that question, and by the way, if it's a no, you've got to go back to the drawing board. Mm -hmm. You've got to redesign what it is that you're offering based on what your market are telling you. You know, you can't just simply forge ahead and say, well, I need to market harder or I need to push harder or I need to get in the right person's ear. If you're not selling a product that the market wants, you're always going to be pushing it uphill. So if your answer to that first question is a no, you've got to go back to the drawing board. You've got to go back to basics. You've got to scratch what you think you might know about what you're offering your market about what they want from you, and you have to redesign that. The second question, however, once you've determined that the market does want what you want, what you're selling is, and, and this is where we got and this was our sticking point, well, we said, yes, the market wants what we're offering. Okay, well, how come we're not seeing a significant uptake in that? How come we're not seeing a huge number of inquiries to our network to become new business owners with us. And that's where we had to go back to the drawing board. That's where we had to go back and better understand what's stopping. The market is saying, yes, we want what you've got. Well, why aren't they moving through and purchasing with us? Mm -hmm. There are barriers in that process, in that pathway for them. There are brick walls going up somewhere. We then just had to figure out where they were, what they were, and how to tear them down. Yeah. So that's exactly what we did. We found those brick walls. Now, there was pretty much only two significant ones. One was around flexibility of, you know, the agreement that you enter into a franchise network, you have a franchise agreement. People wanted more flexibility in those agreements. So we created more flexibility in our agreements. The other thing we did was that people said, well, I want to be my own boss, but I just, I don't want the risk of parting with the upfront cash, which can be anywhere from twenty to $60,000 in our sector. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nobody has that kind of money sitting in their back pocket anymore. Mm-hmm. And people, even if they do, or even if they have it in equity and other assets, are less and less, less and less wanting to rearrange to make that capital available to spend upfront purchasing into a business. It's seen as mm-hmm. a high-risk activity. Yep. And so the feedback from market was we want flexible payment options. And so it kind of, in the end, was a bit of a no-brainer for us. The feedback was, well, we want flexible payment. And we said, well, okay, let's throw out the window what we thought we knew about selling franchises. Let's throw out the window what everybody else does and let's completely redesign it. Let's flip some tables. Let's offer a subscription model. Why wouldn't we do that? Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the two key questions you have to ask yourself in business. Does the market want what I'm selling? And if yes then why aren't they buying it from you? There has to be something stopping them. Mm. All you've got to do is find that brick wall and tear it down. Yeah. I love this so much because the traditional franchise model is is really aimed at, I guess, ex-corporates with a large amount of money. You know, gosh, I'm talking years ago. So my very first job was in McDonald's and I met my then husband who was working in McDonald's. He was in management. I was being groomed for management. I turned them down (laughs) and we were looking at a franchise. Well, when you're in your early twenties, I don't know if anyone knows the amount of a McDonald's franchise, but there is no possible way that we could have done it. They were definitely aimed at people that had been in high executive positions that were coming out with hundreds of thousands of dollars. To me, there's a huge mismatch there. You're talking about home services. I would guess, and I could be wrong, that it is a younger end of the market that would be coming in to purchase your franchises that don't necessarily have that capital. 
So having that thought of how can we do this differently when no one else had been asking this question previously is huge because, you know, being the first person to come up with this new model, the first person is always the hardest, you know, and you talked about innovation before. I guess I would love to bridge from where we are right now into the rest of the conversation. Like what really is innovation? Yeah, great question. What is innovation? I feel like it's a little bit of an overused but misunderstood word. Yeah. I went through university only 10 years ago. And when I went through university, we were taught change management, but we weren't taught innovation. Mm -hmm. So in the last 10 years since I was in university, we've had this explosion in our language around transformation of companies and networks and organisations. And innovation wasn't something that we really spoke about 10 years ago at university when I was going through it. What is innovation? Innovation is being first. Innovation is not just simply doing something slightly different. It's not continuous improvement and it's not change management. It is doing something genuinely for the first time. And that is very hard work. When we first came up with the idea of the subscription model, I had some fascinating conversations when I was first talking to some individuals about this. So, you know, innovation is really hard work and I want to share a couple of these conversations with you to give you and your audience just an idea of what innovation actually looks like when you kickstart it from the inside. And probably most importantly, what it feels like. <laughs> it feels like an uphill battle, yeah. <laughs> but in a very good way, in a very fulfilling way. Because you, you know, we knew we had to do something and innovation, as hard as it is, is exciting. It's exhilarating. When I first thought of the concept, I thought, gosh, surely somebody else has done this. This is, this seems to be a no brainer. You quite rightly point out that jumping into a franchise network as a younger person is pretty much impossible. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's difficult enough to get into the housing market and we're all struggling to try and do that. And then you throw wanting to be your own boss in on top of that and the two just do not work together for most of the population at the moment. So when I was looking at this idea, I thought, oh, gosh, there's surely case studies worldwide, dime a dozen, on offering a subscription to business ownership. There was nothing. I could find nothing. I spent days trawling the internet, Australia and globally, and I found nothing. And I thought, how on earth has this not been done? And so I, you know, you research and you research and you research and you research and you think about your idea and you mull it over in your head and you do all the risk analysis and you write it, you know, you just, you just start brain dumping everything and anything and your entire life becomes absorbed completely in this thought process around how am I going to do this? No one else has done this before. Does that mean it's not going to work? Like if it was going to work, somebody else would have done it. Mm -hmm. And so you start second guessing yourself and thinking maybe it's not such a good idea. Maybe there's a reason it hasn't been done. And so eventually I plucked the courage to um, launch this idea to the owners of the business. And we were in one of our monthly meetings and, you know, we, we got to the last items on the agenda and I said, I have an idea for taking this company in a slightly different direction. And I spoke about this concept of a subscription to business ownership and I got laughed at. Mm -hmm. That's what it feels to be first. Yeah. Initially, you get laughed at. <laughs> and I say that not to 
indicate that the people that I was launching the idea to weren't bold and courageous in their vision for our company because we were. We'd spent two years completely transforming and changing everything. We'd made every bold and courageous decision you could possibly make in two years in a network. We'd done it. And so this wasn't an indication that they had no appetite for change and for risk, quite the opposite. They just thought the idea was absurd. Then I had a conversation with our our lawyer, who's a franchising specialist, and I got silence at the other end of the phone. I really love our lawyer. She has just the best sense of humour. And I got silence at the other end of the phone and she said, I don't know if we, can we do this? I don't know if we can do, can we do this? I'm going to have to look at some legislation. Can we do this? And it was so funny because the, I'm saying, can we do this? And she's saying, I don't know. Can we do this? I've never been asked before. She's saying, we're going to have to go back to basics. We're going to have to go back and look at legislation, make sure that you still qualify as a franchise network. We really have to pull this apart. We have to unpack your concept entirely to figure out where this fits in the space of franchising law and regulation in this country. And so completely uncharted waters for her. You know, then I started talking to other sort of agencies that we were working with for marketing and SEO and website because, you know, this sort of idea, it's driven by, you know, when you launch something into the marketplace for the first time, the launch is all exciting, but then you need to move into a phase of educating the marketplace because they don't know what it is you're now selling. So I was talking to all our agencies that partner with us on this kind of, that kind of space. And, you know, the response from them was like, this is so cool. But how yeah. do you make this work? Like we've got so yeah. many questions, but how are you going to make this work? So innovation is, is sitting in that space of complete uncertainty, absurd amounts of risk, fear, waking up at 2 a.m. going, oh, my God, am I insane? Are we insane for tackling this? Yeah, what am I doing? <laughs> That's right. You know, the financial modelling for this. How on earth did I know whether we were financially modelling it out correctly? I'm I'm basing five years of forecasting based on nothing, on pure assumptions pulled out of thin air. That's what innovation feels like. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. what it looks like. That's what it is. It's not just little tweaks around the edge. It's not being brought in to do a job. It's genuinely being first. No one else has walked this path before and every single question you ask yourself you are responsible for finding the answer to. Yeah. Oh, I love this so much. When you first came up with, like when you first did your original analysis and you're like, we've got to do something different and you came up with this idea for the subscription model for the franchisees, was this something that just came to you or was this through conversations with other people around you? It's always a team effort, always. You know, it's always it's a build. We talk so openly amongst our head office team about our core challenges and our core risks and what they actually mean to the organisation. We are not an organisation that wraps our head office team in cotton wool and says, you just (laughs) do your job, we'll worry about our job. No, no, it's everybody's job to make sure this organisation is successful because our jobs ultimately are to ensure the success and that the support is given to our business owners. So the story is far bigger than just our head office team. It was about ensuring security and longevity for our network because ultimately it's the business owners in our network that we are responsible for taking care of. So, you know, we are open and we have lots of conversations and over two years of transforming the network, there were that many projects that we were working on. 
that many conversations that we would have at the head office level that were strategically focused. Where are we going? What are we trying to achieve? What are our goals here? What does success look like for us? And, you know, every now and then you get a little bit of an idea from someone and then someone else says something else and then you have a bit of a chat with someone else and it sort of rolls a little bit more. And, you know, that those ongoing conversations over a period of a couple of years together with that deep dive we did on what are those brick walls in our way? Yes, the market wants what we're selling, but no, we're not selling. So where are the blockages? Where are those brick walls? You know, once we really identified those brick walls, we did a lot of market research. We actually called people who had inquired with us and who had looked like our perfect candidate, but who had not gone ahead with us. We called them and we said, please don't hang up on us. This is not us trying to sell you a franchise after you've already told us that you don't want one. This is us genuinely wanting your complete and honest and frank feedback about why you didn't go ahead. Yeah, That was the changing point for us. That uh-huh. was the intelligence that made all the difference because it was those conversations, as uncomfortable as they were, it was those conversations that basically time and time again, the same thing came up. Yeah, well, I've got the cash but I don't, it's too risky. I'm not going to go and put it all on the table up front. Or, well, I don't, I want my own business, but I just don't have the cash and I don't have the ability to go to a bank and I don't have family that have cash that would lend it to me. I just can't get it. So, you know, the train stops here. It was those conversations that were critical. So it's a whole heap of things, right? You have to be listening all of the time to your people, to the market, to the feedback, as uncomfortable as that is, you have to listen to it. And then at the end of it all, you know, the gold spins out the other end when you put it all together. And it's like a thousand piece puzzle that we were building for two years. And you put one piece in every couple of days and you can't really see the full picture until you've got a few hundred pieces in. And all of a sudden you start to see it. And then, you know, once you've got a few pieces in, then you put a whole heap more in and then it builds really quickly. And then all of a sudden you're 80% there and the picture is clear. That's kind of what happened. You know, it was not an immediate light bulb moment, but it was an evolution over a period of time, we needed to flip some tables. We needed to do things very differently. And we just, we were tenacious in our pursuit for more intelligence at all times. We asked questions. You know, if someone in my team said to me, oh, well, I would say to them, well, why did this person drop off? Oh, oh, you know, just family circumstances. No, I want you to ring them and I want you to actually have a deeper conversation with them about why because that intelligence drives our decision-making that inevitably drove our innovation. Mm, I love this so much. I interviewed Margie Feldoon back in episode 358 and she talked about the journey for them getting to a million dollars a month and the conversation was exactly the same as this conversation in the sense that the team doesn't have this, well, you're in sales and you go over here and you're doing this thing. And this is the golden thread. It's a very consultative, consultative, consultative. I don't know. We all know what I'm trying to say, surely. It's a process with all the team members coming in and everyone putting their heads together and understanding that to be able to grow this company or this business as a whole, that everyone needs to be part of that process. And that is definitely something that I'm hearing from you as well, is that you need to empower and enable your team to all come together and understand that you're all in it to, you know, to take this company forward. It's critical. It's critical. It's the most critical thing that 
we're focused on in the transformation is actually the health of our head office team as a team. And there's no one single place where you start working on how do you bring your team together. It comes from everywhere and it comes from everyone. I feel like, you know, obviously there's sayings it's got to be led from the top and then there are other sayings saying it's got to be led from the bottom, you know, a grand swell upwards. And then there are other sayings that, well, it's, you know, it's all in your hiring. It's all of those things Mm. all of the time. Yes. You know, you have to live and breathe what you say and what you do. You have to go about your job with integrity. You have to actually care about the people in your care. And for our head office team, we are a small but exceptionally powerful team. I have a very small team. You would probably be surprised to know just how small our head office team is and yet what we are capable of achieving in our national business with just a few people really. We have less than 10 in our head office team. How do we get that level of productivity in our people? You take care of them and you Mm. actually genuinely care about who they are. And one of the most important things I think we do is we, you know, call it culture or just, I don't know, culture I feel like is almost a little bit overused and I feel like what we have goes beyond just culture, uh-huh. you know. It's like the James way. How do we how do we do things at work? And it's like I have a particular team member who will ring me on a Wednesday and say, hey, Rhea, I've got this wacky Wednesday idea. And when she first started ringing me a couple of years ago with these ideas, and they're just, they're just little ideas, little tweaks to the dial, but they make a big difference to her role and a very big difference in the scheme of things to how we're able to support our franchisees. She'd ring me so uncertain and say, I've got this little idea. I don't want to waste your time, but, you know, I've just been thinking about this, if it's possible. And I'd say, let me have it. I want all of the ideas, all of the time. There is no idea that's a silly idea. Let me have it. And, you know, it's just how we do business. Every idea is potential gold. From, I don't care who it comes from. You know, it can come from someone, you know, who picks up a phone or someone who's working at, you know, an executive level. The ideas come from everywhere and they're gold, mm. you know, just because it, it doesn't, doesn't really matter where they come from. You need to listen to all of them. Well, all of those people have their own unique perspectives of what's happening within the company. And I think that that's something that's not understood. And when you were talking about it can come from the bottom or it can come from the top. And, well, it does come from both because... I mean, we can say the top just for the conversation, although I don't think that's what we're talking about here. You know, your executive team, they're going to have a very specific perspective and reasons why they do things. But that doesn't mean that the person that's at the coalface with the clients or the customers doesn't have a different perspective. And those conversations are so important to come together to explain to each other, yeah, but this is the way we see it. And I think where the gold is in this conversation, and this is what you're talking about here, is the very next question of, all right, well, let's explore this. What if? So in our company, what if is the best question that anyone could answer? Because rather than just shutting it down, it's like, well, okay, well, well, let's discuss this. In my mind now, I might be thinking there's not, you know, a snowflake's chance in hell of this coming together. But let's just go, what if? And you never know what's going to come out of it. Oh, so many times you get an idea come or some feedback. And, you know, sometimes critical feedback is hard to hear. And so, you know, your initial response can be to push it away or to 
to try and rationalize it, Mm -hmm. that's the worst thing you can do. Mm. Actually, you just need to completely remove your ego from the situation and any preconceived ideas from the situation and assess it for what it is. It is frank, honest, open feedback, and it's an opportunity for improvement and it should be taken as that. Yeah, it's so important to make sure that you can be open and honest. And in fact, I actually think that the people who are more at our cold face in our organization keep the rest of us in check with what actually is happening. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. You know, at executive level, yes, we've got these ideas. Yes, we we we've transformed the company. We've got this innovation that's world first. Tick, tick, tick. We're doing all the good things, right? But our company is only successful if our business owners within the network are successful. And I would be lying completely. If I was to say that I knew exactly what our business owners were thinking and feeling at all times, I absolutely don't. And so it is critical that the people that work directly with our business owners feed back to us how they're thinking, how they're feeling and what's going on. I recently delivered, we we do a whole suite of training when we onboard a new business owner. We train them for a week in business management and a week in practical training you can imagine that it's not the CEO's role to deliver that training. Mm -hmm. However, I just spent a few weeks down in Victoria delivering our business management training to some new team members in Victoria. The reason that I did that was because I rewrote the training like 12 months ago, but unless you deliver it, unless you get to the coalface, unless you have that experience of working directly with the business owners in the network, you don't really get the feedback that you need in order to continue to improve it. You know, so there were parts of the training where I just sort of thought, okay, well, we need to continue to improve that section. You know, we need to continue improvements there because I haven't nailed it. We haven't nailed it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not adequately addressing actually the intelligence and the skills we need to be building in our network. And so, you know, you really do need to take your ego out of it. There's there's nothing more destructive in an organisation undergoing transformation than allowing your ego to get involved. Oh, 100%, 100%. What you were talking about earlier, you know, coming up with these innovative ideas and people are going to laugh, but what happens when they really push back? Oh, that's the hard part, isn't it? And we've got to learn to work through it because I feel like there are so many people who have fantastic business ideas. And look, before I was working with James Home Services, my background is management consulting. And so, you know, I spend a lot of my time with people coming to me with these fabulous ideas saying, I've got this great idea and where do I start? What do you do when the door gets slammed in your face? I've had I've had so many doors slammed in my face in the last 10 years of my career. It's not even funny. And it's character building, yeah. but it builds resilience and you need that because they, you know, I'm going to con- con- continue to get doors slammed for the rest of my career. It's pretty demoralizing at the time, but a door slammed is never a no. It's an opportunity to follow a different pathway. Mm-hmm. That is mentally how you need to, to approach it. And, you know, you need to have that mindset of, Yes, you can be unhappy that the person that you've gone to or that, you know, the people that you're speaking to don't yet see value in your idea, but you can't just sit back and say, oh, well, the idea doesn't work or, well, I'm not going to push this or, well, they don't see value, so, you know, well, I'm just not going to do anything. Instead, it's an invitation for a different pathway. So you need to put your thinking cap back on. How do I approach this differently? Did I adequately understand who 
I was pitching this idea to? Did I miss the mark in my pitch? Did it just not resonate with that person? Do I not understand what their triggers are or what motivates them? What would, you know, what do they need to hear from me to give them confidence in the idea? You know, it's like it's marketing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We're marketing to a person. Pitching an idea is marketing. So you need to understand your audience. Yeah, we're selling ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. It's critical. So you need to understand who it is that you're pitching to. You know, you need to look for other opportunities if that door is slammed. In my case, you know, the the laugh that I got from the owners, uh, you know, we'd just been through two years of transformational change in our network and I'd had the laugh before. You know, I remember one of the first things I said to the owners was, look, our brand is great. Like visually our brand is fantastic and we have a lot of residual brand value having been around for now 30 years in this country. But I said to them, look, it's been probably... 10 to 12 years since we did a brand refresh, not a logo rebuild, not a complete colour change, just a refresh, just modernising our logo a little, just bringing it back into the 21st century. And I, you know, I got a little door slam. I got a little, no, no, the logo is fine. It's lovely. Persistence is key. And demonstrating the value of the change is key. What does it look like? What does the change process look like? Who's involved? What are the costs? But what? What is the end product? What does it look Mm. like? What does it achieve? How do we present better in the marketplace? Those sorts of thoughts all ran through my head. And so, you know, you just simply continue to go back to the table and offer more information to bring them on board. Same thing with the subscription model. You know, I sat on it for a little while when I first launched it and first got the initial little slam. I sat on it for a little while and I really just thought, okay, I need to do some more work on this idea because clearly what I was pitching was still underdone as a concept, as an idea, even though it was very early stages and all I was really saying was, hey, could I have a go-ahead to just do some more work on this? Thought, well, I'm going to need to carve out some more of my time to do some more work on this. At a point, you have to back yourself. You have to decide that you're going to invest time in figuring this out and making it work. And so you go back and you do more modelling and you do more research and you learn more and you ask more what-if questions. That point you made earlier was perfect because what I went back and did was I modelled out financially the Mm what-if. You know, what if we don't do this was really what I modelled out. What if we don't do this? What if we continue just to do what we've always been doing? Well, we end up nowhere very quickly. Mm-hmm. So it is about going back to the drawing board. Understand who you're pitching your idea to. Find a different pathway. Clearly you missed the mark initially. So you need to go back with more information or a different angle or you need to do more research. There's something that you've missed. And for me, persistence has always been key. Something that I think probably is one of my biggest strengths that has gotten me where I am is my resilience. And I've had a lot of doors slammed and I generally, I have a little personal rule. I give myself 24 hours to grieve, <laughs> I give myself 24 <laughs> hours to be annoyed, to be frustrated, to feel all of the emotions because this is, I'm a human being. Yep, it's real life. This is normal. You know, you put your heart and soul into something, you put yourself on the line, you've presented something and it's been a no. And you think, well, is it me? Have I done something? So I give myself 24 hours to be angry, to blame everybody else, to do, to feel all the feelings. And then after 24 hours, I pick myself back up and I say, right, what am I going to do to change the outcome? Mm. Because last time I tried this, I did not get the outcome I wanted. 
So I now I need to do something different to change the outcome. You get out of bed every single day and you do the same thing, you're going to get the same outcome. Mm. If you want to change the outcomes, if you want to change the path, if you want to change where you're going to get to eventually, you got to get out of bed each morning and you got to do something different. Yeah, totally. You know, as you were talking through that, I was thinking that this is so relevant, not just for people that are pitching to other people, but a lot of what you talked about then is still really important, even if you're running a business and you're the the team of one. And that is like, you know, what is that idea and what does it look like? It's the research, it's the forecasting. I think back to my first business and I was in business with my well, he's my ex-husband now, but my husband, we were in business for 20 years and he was sort of like more the back end of the business and I was the front end, if that makes sense. I looked after the marketing, I looked after the team, he looked after the, you know, making sure that everything was paid and, and all of that stuff that I don't like doing. And I used to go to him and say, hey, I've got this marketing idea, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he'd go to me. He was really good in the sense that he never, ever shut down what I asked, but he always said, cool, what does it look like? How much is it going to spend? What's the ROI? What does it look like? And it was really good for me to go back and say, okay, yep, cool. Or I'd say, he'd say, well, what's the budget? And I'd say, well, I need this much. Cool. What's the ROI? Like, what what are we going to get for that? And it was really good foundations to understand that there is a reaction for every single thing that we do in our business. And you know, you're speaking from a CEO level, but there are people that are in smaller businesses that just on a whim might go, oh, I'm just going to do that marketing. Well, hang on a minute. Is it going to the right people? What's the message? What's the outcome? What's the forecast? What's the expectations? You know, always asking yourself, what if this? What if this? What if this? And going through that process and it will put you in good stead for when you do grow your team and when you do grow to really understanding all of the mechanics that happen in business yes spot on you've got to be asking those tough questions even if it's just you there's there's so many elements of what you just said that i could comment on something that stands out is i think that you've really started to hit on a note of the difference between this hustle culture that we have you know start a business get it going in two seconds flat just work your ass off and just make something happen versus exactly what you're talking about which is focus for impact Yes. And understand what that impact is. Understand if you make a decision here that the outcome is likely to be this, this or this. And you can control this entirely if you understand what you're doing back here at the start. You know, if you just go and simply I'm going to run a whole suite of Facebook ads, how effective do you think that's going to be? Pretty ineffective if you don't understand exactly what impact you're looking for. So focus for impact is critical. There's also a big part of, you know, you have to back yourself and you have to take risks. I'm often invited to speak to year 11 and 12 students in my local area about, you know, that life after high school kind of transition period and how do you get from sitting in a chair doing a high school exam when you're 18 to CEO of a national company at 33, you know, what does that path look like? And it ain't linear, let me tell you, it is anything but linear. There are so many U-turns and, you know, whoop-de-doos in it, it's not even funny. But I think something that I tell anybody that I'm speaking to, particularly at that level when they're just kind of not sure and they're starting out, and also to anybody in business by themselves working really hard is that you have to back yourself and you have to take risk. Reward comes where you take risk. I honestly think we probably 
have taken one of the biggest risks any franchise network in this country has taken in probably franchising history. I mean, we're offering a subscription to business ownership. We get someone started in their business. We train them, provide their equipment. We give them IT. So we teach them everything they know. We hold their hand. We find them customers. We get them started in a business and they're literally paying us a hundred bucks a week. Mm. That's insane. It's amazing. It's absolute. Well, it's amazing from a consumer's perspective of the fact that It's so accessible to start your own business. But frankly, I must have the franchising industry looking at me going, this woman is crazy. Uh Uh-huh, absolutely. it's risk, right? And it's calculated risk. And it is because my business owners, whilst I initially got a laugh, you know, the next time I talked about the idea, I got those same questions that your ex-husband was asking you. Right, what does this look like if we're going to entertain this? What's the ROI? What does the next five years look like? How much are we going to require to fund this? What's it What's it going to mean for our network? How are we going to grow? How are we going to support them? How are you going to build a head office team that can support this? It's all those questions that they needed answers to. And so the next time I talked to them, I had those answers, or at least I was on the way to developing answers and, and intelligence around that. And so the conversation was a very different one. And I will say I've probably given them a little bit more of a harsh rap than anything else because you know, whilst I say that I love saying that I first got a laugh, it's it's a very in-joke now amongst our, our owners and, and I is if I ever say, hey, guys, I've got an idea, now they just laugh. It's a bit of a, <laughs> yeah. a funny thing. But at the same time, they very much acknowledge that now if I have an idea, they they listen and they ask all those questions. But they have an appetite for risk. They have an appetite for being bold and courageous and making decisions that others might not that's innovative. Innovation is staring down risk and being prepared to accept it even though it sits there. Mm. You know, understand it, plan for it, analyse it, but at the end of the day we can't do something that significantly changes the landscape in this industry without taking on an incredible amount of risk. That's innovation. So you have to be prepared to accept risk It has to be calculated. It has to be led by those hard questions and you have to back yourself. There's also just a point where you have to believe in yourself and your team and you just have to say, guys, let's go get this. Mm. This is ours. Let's get it. Yeah, I love it so much. But I do want to go back to something you mentioned just a little while ago, which was this hustle because there's a lot of people saying, you know, hustle culture's dead and you know you can have this business that's you know from a the words they use you know from a place of flow which i actually think you can have with the hustle my personal thought is there always does need to be some sort of hustle in business and that i feel that by saying that there's never any hustle it's setting people up for failure because in business there always is some sort of hustle however i'm not a big fan of just like chase your tail and just go fast because to me that's not hustle. And I think there's the reason people don't like the word is because it's confused. That hustle just, you know, people think about just go, 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 go. How about I just let you take it? Because I, I want to hear you. I, I really want to hear your take on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hustle, hustle is an interesting word. And I think, you, I think you nailed it. People are confused about what it means. There's one half of the equation that think that hustle means chase your tail. And you're also right in that 
there is an element of hustle in business. There ain't nothing 40 hours a week about my job, let me tell you that much, you know. There's hustle in my job. There's hustle in everybody's role in our head office team. However, there is purpose to that busyness. Yes. There is purpose. It is driven. It is calculated. It is defined. And it is for the purpose of achieving the bigger goal, which is sustainable, healthy growth in our network that provides more opportunity to everyday Australians to own their own business. I think, honestly, there's not a member of my head office team that does the bare minimum. Absolutely not. My head office team are incredible people. They go above and beyond. They are on the weekends answering calls from members of our network, just all sorts of little questions, but on the weekend, just taking these calls. And on Monday when I'm talking to my team, they're saying, oh, I spoke to so-and-so on the weekend and I spoke to so-and-so and these guys had a little issue here, but I've dealt with it. It's all good. I'm like, what's going on on Monday morning? And you've already done all of this. And at no point is there any negativity around this. Mm. They, you know, they work so hard and I think it comes down to what is the culture of your network? The culture of our network is that every single person in our head office team understand how their role supports our broader goals. And it's very simple. Every single person in our team has a role in making sure our business owners are supported. It's that simple. There's a direct line between what every single person in our team does and supporting those those franchisees on the ground. There's hustle in it, but it's focused. Mm. And I think that that is where people go wrong. When I was management consulting, there were a lot of business owners that came to me and they were they were busier than they'd ever been in their life. They thought that business ownership was going to be a bit of a, hey, I want flexibility over my time. They ended up, you know, pulling 60, 70, 80 hour weeks trying to get this thing off the ground. But when you pare back their busyness, it is just, as you say, chasing tail and it's not focused. Mm-hmm. Something that mm-hmm. someone said to me about seven years ago, a really excellent business mentor of mine, focused for impact. Yeah. Because I was that person doing all of the things and not focusing on anything. Yeah. What is the outcome? That's right. That changed. Honestly, to a degree, it's changed my life. It's changed how I approach things. It means I can be so much more effective with the time that I use. I can focus for impact. I can focus where I actually am going to see a return on the time that I spend invested in whatever I'm doing. Anyone in business needs to understand what return are they getting for their time? Yeah. Not just, you know, return on their marketing budget, not just a return on, you know, Facebook ads or investing money over here or there or going down and doing this change. What is the return you're getting on your time? Because if you're if you're spending time and you're not seeing outcomes for that, it's a project you don't need to be spending time on anymore. That I feel is the hustle side of things, that whole just move those wheels. No, no, move the wheels in the right direction. Yeah, love it, love it, love it. We've talked about a lot of things today and it's been such a fabulous conversation, but what will you leave our listeners with today in regard to innovation? Like what is something that they can walk away and start to think, how can I innovate in my business? Probably two things. To go back to what we spoke about very early on, those two questions, ask yourself every single day in business, these two questions and be prepared to be brutally honest with yourself. Be prepared to give yourself a no. Does the market want what I'm offering? If yes, why aren't they buying from me? Mm. Those two questions are critical. The other thing that I will say is there is no problem that is solutionless. That is one of my favourite sayings right now and I 
when a head office team member comes to me and says, oh, we might have a little issue, I say, excellent. What is it? Because there's no problem that's solutionless. There is nothing that can't be solved. Whether you are in a multinational company or whether you are just you, yourself and I, and you are doing it, there is no problem that is solutionless. All you got to do is you got to unpack what you're looking at and you have to think creatively. Innovation is hard and it's risky and it's taking the uncertain path. It's being very uncomfortable at night. It's not, it's not being able to sleep. If you're, you know, if you're in that zone of discomfort, then you're probably on the right track to a degree. Mm. So yeah, ask yourself those two questions in your business every day and always, always approach everything you do with the mindset that there is no problem that is solutionless. Rhiannon, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your wisdom and your value bombs. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. I love how much passion you've got in everything you do. And just, I know that you are set up for huge things in the future with the way that you think. And it's, it's been fabulous to have a little insight into your brain today. Oh, Samantha, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you about all things innovation. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Influence by Design podcast. If you want more, head over to influencebydesignpodcast.com for the show notes and links to today's gifts and sponsors. And if you're looking to connect with other experts who are growing and scaling their business too, join us in the Coaches, Thought Leaders and Changemakers community on Facebook. The links are waiting for you over at influencebydesignpodcast.com.